Okay, so wholesome. What makes you you? Whoa, deep question to start. Oh, don't you worry. We're about to get real deep. No, no, that's too easy. Did you have a that's what she said joke planned? Do I seem like a man with a plan? Well, I hope you have a plan for this episode. Well, if you'd answer the question. <sighs> right. Okay. What makes me me? I guess uh, I like drumming, photography, comic books, and um, being an all-around sexy guy. So are you saying that you're the only person who likes comic books, drumming, and photographing sexy guys? Mm, not exactly what I said, but uh, <clears throat> I mean, I like <laughs> the worst. I like to, <laughs> I like to think so. Uh, but you're looking at me like that's the wrong answer. Well, so today I want to talk about identity and what makes a person or a thing that specific person or thing. If we're talking identifying traits, then uh, <clears throat> I'm six foot fifteen. I've got biceps that make Popeye look like a chump. Uh, I can run like eighty miles a minute and uh, still rocking a puka shell necklace to tie together the all-around sexiness I mentioned earlier. No, no, no. You're not going deep enough. Yeah, too easy. Not falling for it. <laughs> All right, so let's trip you down to your basic human components. We will come back to this. Don't be ever startled by a Plato knowledge, cause we got our game unlocked. Will Vinny, Vinny, Vici, Mustachio, Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome and he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Let's talk about a ship instead an old, old wooden ship. Used by a Greek hero king in battles and exploration. And after our hero king's death, that ship is preserved, of course. And it was used in these yearly ceremonies to um, like honor the gods. And because this was such an important ceremony, the ship had to be kept in tip-top condition. So anytime a single plank was gouged or started rotting or something like that, the plank would be removed and replaced with a new plank. Standard stuff. Now... After a long number of years had passed, a philosopher noticed that a lot of the original parts of the ship had been removed. The masts had been swapped out, the sails tore and were replaced, of course. The big captain's steering wheel changed a few times. And meticulous bookkeeping of this very important ship revealed that, in fact, every single piece of the ship had, over time, been replaced. And to a Greek engineer, that's awesome. Great maintenance. But to the philosopher, it posed an interesting question. Uh, okay, if we're talking about identity, uh, are you getting at if the modern ship is even the same thing as the original ship? Exactly, exactly. So this is the ship of Theseus paradox. If every last part was replaced and none of the original was left, is this technically still the same ship? <laughs> well, it sounds weird when you put it like that, but... Um... Yeah. But it makes you question it, right? Identity. So I remember my ninth grade bio teacher asked us like way back when something similar, but with people. And she was getting at something slightly different, but follow along on this. Say some guys going about his or her day, but then while cooking dinner, they get distracted by a friend's rerun and they're using a dull knife, which you should never do. And our guy accidentally slices his finger real bad, like real bad. And it bleeds a bunch. He knows to apply pressure to the wound, but the bleeding just doesn't stop. So he goes to the ER. He ends up with stitches. Our dude eventually buys a knife sharpener and pays closer attention to his chopping in the future, as all our listeners surely do. And it's all good, right? <laughs> a significant event in that night of his life, perhaps, but hardly worth remembering even a month later. I mean, it's not a big deal. 
Now, my question is, is Jack still Jack? Did you just name this guy Jack? I did, yes. Why wouldn't Jack be Jack? Well, Jack has a piece of string or surgical suture holding together part of him. And that wasn't part of Jack before. I'm not sure I followed. Stitches don't make you a different person. Well, I agree. I agree. So then the next month, Jack is involved in an unfortunate bowling accident and loses his right arm. Wait, what? What is a bowling accident and how did he lose his arm? Uh, Jack doesn't want to talk about it. He just wants to know (laughs) if he's still Jack. Because he doesn't have an arm. Poor Jack is going to have a lot to adjust to, but lacking an arm just opens up a a whole new world of great Halloween costumes. It it doesn't make him any less himself. Ah, wholesome. Perpetually the optimist. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And a few years later, Jack loses a leg and gets a new bionic leg. Is he still Jack? Okay, I see where this is going. He's bionic, and not only is Jack still Jack, but with a whole bunch of robot parts, so he's super cool now. What if his kidneys completely fail and he needs frequent dialysis to stay alive? Hmm. Well, that's tough luck, but he can still be himself and he can be my friend. (laughs) My very unlucky friend. Iron Lung? Okay, that definitely sounds like a superhero thing. Heart transplant. Breathing machine. Is Jack turning into a cyborg from Teen Titans? Sick reference, sick reference. Uh, Yeah, he is now half machine and half biological parts. Or something that, you know, maybe the modern populace might be a little more familiar with. um, Nebula from the Avengers movies, where her father, Thanos... (coughs) Well, losing my voice here, folks. One second. (coughs) It's back. Hi, or like Nebula from the Avengers movies, where her father Thanos replaces parts of her over time, you know, except for her attitude. So Jack has clearly changed a lot over the years. Physically, he has lost a lot of himself and also gained new parts. I'm sure that impacts someone psychologically too. Maybe Jack went through some unhealthy mental times. His personality changed, not just because of the accidents, but because we all change over time. So you're saying the physical changes don't actually change him. But what about personality? If his personality changes, is he still the same Jack? Mm, Okay. Last episode, you said you're not a lawyer. It's my time to give you the same disclaimer. Or, I mean, the audience, really. I am also not a lawyer, but if someone's personality changes, their relationships might also change a little bit, but legally, they're still the same person. I feel you as a non-lawyer. I feel you there. (laughs) Uh, Sweet, sweet. I like where we're going. So, Jack, regardless of all of these physical changes, and even with some mental changes, is still Jack. But why? What does it mean to be Jack? Um, pass? Did you say pass? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let me, let me think about this. Uh, things have changed, but what makes Jack Jack? Right, so what is consistent about his identity? Oh, all right, all right. Uh, consistent. His brain is still the same and his memories are the same, so even though there were changes, his memory has been consistent, so... That proves he is, was, and always will be Jack. I wasn't giving you an answer. I was asking. You came up with that on your own. (laughs) You're darn right I did. So we're talking about a continuity of memory. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And the English philosopher John Locke talked about that. In a hypothetical Freaky Friday sort of situation, if you and one of our listeners switched bodies, wholesome, you'd probably think that you're still you just in a new body. And our dear listener would probably still feel like him or herself, but in your puka shell necklace wearing body. (laughs) Yeah, that body. You take care of that bod, listener. So it's the less 
physical aspects, it sounds like, the consciousness, the memory that most of us feel more comfortable saying is what makes us, us. And Locke said that a person existing today is the same as the person existing yesterday because they remember the experiences of that yesterday person, if that's not too confusing. I I already see a problem with this. You have a terrible memory, heathen. So if you don't remember your memories... Are you a different heathen from the one before? Huh? You you're you are right about that. I don't remember last Friday night from about two AM onward. <laughs> I think that might be something else. Tomato potato. Tomato tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. It it that's a song. I, I know. I was just I was just taking a moment to consider if we should really continue this collaboration with uh uh, with that in mind. Right. So back to the philosophy. Thank there was a Scottish philosopher, Thomas Reed, who disagreed with this continuity of memory. And he presented a story of a brave officer as a rebuttal. So say a small boy is flogged for stealing an apple. We changed trolleys to subways because that's too old school, but we're keeping flogging. Say a small boy loses iPad privileges for stealing an apple. No little boy wants an apple or a sweet, delicious fruit. Zing! <laughs> Say a small boy loses iPad privileges for kicking wholesome. Aye. Later, as a young officer, he remembers losing iPad privileges as a boy. And then even later, as an old general, he remembers acting bravely as a young officer, but doesn't remember kicking wholesome. According to a strict reading of Locke's memory continuity idea, this Scotsman says that the young officer is the same person as the little boy, and the old general is the same person as the young officer, but the old general is not the same person as the little boy, right? Because there's no continuity. Okay. But this is logically inconsistent because, hold on with me now, if A equals B and B equals C, A must equal C. That's called the transitive property, but don't worry too much about that. It only took about 200 years for another English philosopher to come up with a fix. This guy said that for the old general to be the same person as the little boy, he doesn't have to have direct memory of the experience, but a connection to it. So the old general is connected to the young officer and the young officer is connected to the small boy. So there's a continuity and they're all the same person. That took 200 years. <laughs> Slow, but all right, I'm digging it. But I'm going to throw wrenches into it. Of course you are, you negligent mechanic. Guess we wouldn't have a show without the wrenches. There's this awesome philosophy webcomic that I love called Existentialism Comics. It's existentialismcomics.com. <laughs> that name is very on the nose. And I want to talk about one of their comics that discusses a teleportation machine. And we'll link to it on our website, wholesomeandheathen.com. Oh, that's the first plug for our own website, wholesomeandheathen.com. Yes, definitely check us out at wholesomeandheathen.com. Maybe we should stop saying wholesomeandheathen.com. Uh, but now sounds like a good opportunity to mention to listeners that Heathen and I are doing this podcast just for fun. Heathen has no friends where he moved to, and I thought this could be a fun project where he could feel human warmth again. Uh, getting too real. <laughs> so we're not trying to monetize this or anything. You're never going to hear ads on the podcast itself or see them on our website. Wholesomeandheathen.com. Yeah, that's the one. We're just excited to share this podcast and the website with you. And now back to you, Heathen. Right, so we'll link the comic I'm talking about on our website, but it's about a near future world where most things, culture and society included, are still the same as today 
but a teleportation device was just invented. We've all heard of teleportation devices. Oh yeah, beam me up, Scotty. So this machine could instantly teleport things and people from one place to another. And naturally with this technology, airports became a thing of the past and transportation became instantaneous and cheap. Most people loved it. But some Luddites and philosophers, those troublemakers, argued that the machine wasn't just transporting people, but killing them. Mm. Since the machine didn't use the exact same atoms, the version of you that appeared on the other end wasn't you, but a copy. Mm. But because the copy had the original's memories, it felt like you were the same person. And then the original was destroyed. And these people argued that it only felt like you were being transported because it was all done instantaneously. The argument continues that if the machine was changed just slightly so that instead of just a discontinuity in space, there was also a discontinuity in time and the so-called copy of you appeared after, say, a thousand years, would we still think the person exiting the machine was the same person that went in? Or even weirder, say the original wasn't destroyed until a few minutes after the copy appeared and the copy got to watch the original be destroyed. Ooh, how would we feel about it then? Okay, uh, this is freaky. When you were talking about it happening instantaneously, even with the atoms not being the exact same atoms, I was thinking about what we said earlier about how bodies aren't what make us us, but our memories. So even though I don't like the original getting destroyed part, I, I could honestly see it. I mean, I'm picturing going through this teleportation machine and I would walk into it. And as far as I'm aware, I'd walk out in Scotland and everything feels fine. I'm okay with that. And I think after getting past the initial fear of new things that society has, we'd all come to accept it. But then the thousand year wrench changes everything. Uh, even if I didn't notice it and I felt like me, I'm not sure society would accept the new me as me. And the last scenario? Uh, yeah, so that that's the one that troubles me the most. I, I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and say that most people probably don't want to see a copy of themselves, nevertheless see themselves straight up vaporized. Again, I was on board earlier in the show when you said that it's not the body that matters, but the memory connection. I didn't say that. The father of classical liberalism, John Locke, said that. Well, thanks, John Locke. Uh, either way, I liked that, and the memory connection still exists in this last scenario, but it, uh, it feels way worse. <laughs> why, why you always got to do this to me? <laughs> but not, not a whole lot has changed, right? If we're okay with the first scenario of instantaneous teleportation, we might think the second scenario of teleportation with a time delay is not useful, but it shouldn't make us think of what's happening any differently. And then the last scenario of watching the so-called original be destroyed, it's kind of like your reaction to the doctor dilemma from last episode. Number-wise and argument-wise, nothing changed, but this one feels more... Uh, viscerally weird yeah it reminds me of the uh the netflix show living with yourself the paul rudd one. Oh yeah yeah that was a great recommendation thanks for that yeah yeah, yeah you're welcome <laughs> i'm the the nerd guy uh for those of you that haven't watched it the premise is that paul rudd goes into a machine that's supposed to rejuvenate him on a dna level they don't clarify exactly but it's supposed to make him a better version of himself or something and he comes out of it feeling better than he has in years but then, and I'm not spoiling anything, this is all in the first episode, it's basically the premise of the show, so don't get too mad. But then, the original Paul Rudd digs himself out of a grave in the woods, and we learn that Machine was making a clone, and they were killing the original. Right, right, right. And they just messed up killing the original Paul Rudd. So every other customer that had 
left honestly happy because they felt like themselves only even better. And with the continuity of memory, no one knows any different. Is that what's happening in this third scenario of our existentialism comics teleportation device? Because the copy sees the original get destroyed. Maybe he doesn't feel like himself because he realizes that he's a copy? That's an awesome question, Wholesome. And I've got a question and response for you. Oh, that's not helpful. Your mom's not helpful. Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize immediately, Mrs. Wholesome's mom. I've met you. You're delightful and helpful. And I- Oh my gosh, stop hitting on my mom. Okay, let's get back to the show. <laughs> You're asking if this teleportation scenario feels weird because it brings more awareness into the situation. You are now aware of your previous self getting atomized, as you said, I believe. My question is, whatever is happening is happening regardless of our awareness of it, right? So if all that changed in this scenario is that we suddenly become aware of something, then did anything really change? Whoa. Uh, You're not going to give me an answer for that, are you? I have no answers. Mm -hmm. So the comic goes on to describe one of the followers of this philosophy that the teleportation machines are killing people. He talks to everyone about it, and he protests against the machines. He's convinced that the largest genocide in history is taking place, but his arguments are too complex, and the conveniences of instantaneous travel far outweigh such abstract fears. Then, by chance, he runs into the inventor of the machine and asks if the machine reassembles people with the exact same molecule. So he's just trying to confirm his position. And the inventor responds that it does not use the same atoms, but goes on to say that we aren't merely a collection of the atoms in our body. The individual atoms in our body already change over time. And this guy doesn't talk about copies in that case. Not part of the comic, but we know that our cells replace themselves and different types of cells at different rates. I looked it up, actually, and apparently the average age of a cell incorporating all the different types of cells in the human body is 7 to 10 years old. So the cells in your body, on average, 7 to 10 years old. Pretty young. Pretty young. (laughs) So the inventor goes on to say that you, your consciousness, are not the atoms in your body but a result of the pattern of atoms in your body. And as long as that is transported, it's all Gucci. <laughs> Gucci. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that jives with everything I understand. But then... Oh, uh, no. The inventor offhand mentions that there's a slight interruption in consciousness, but it's no different from when you go to sleep. It's if your persistent self survives that, then it survives the machine. And this got our young contrarian thinking. If his life is the consciousness produced by his pattern of atoms, it doesn't matter if the atoms change, only if the consciousness is interrupted. But then what? Is he worried about going to sleep now? Exactly. Exactly. No, no. He doesn't stop being himself because he goes to sleep. That's ridiculous. Okay, okay. Strap in. (laughs) Things are about to get a lot weirder Uh, and more abstract. Fine. Let's do this. The thing is that this may all sound like nonsense, but I think our logic has been consistent throughout. It sounds weird, but the weirdness is just a natural continuation down the tracks of our logic. And sometimes, if you follow it to some very theoretical end, you can work your way back and come to a conclusion that actually does impact your understanding of the world in a more sensical way. Well, it sounds roundabout and direct all at the same time. 
Okay, so this dweeb is now worried that going to sleep is killing himself. Well, it's all about what the idea of self and identity hinge on, right? So that's what we've been talking about. He ruled out memory continuity and body continuity. Right, true. So now he's at continuity of consciousness. And he's worried if his consciousness is interrupted, he ceases to be himself. He dies. And all that remain of him are memories in a future life, but that's not him. So he's very troubled, and there's a panel of him next to a sign that says, quote, lost job to existential crisis, and I love that sign. (laughs) And his life, his short, momentary life is in ruins, and he desperately wants to return to an easier existence, but he knows of no way to destroy an idea. Okay, this got depressing very quickly. Then after many years and many depressing lives, he decides that he has to end it all. So he stands on a bridge and Mm -hmm. contemplates his many past lives and the future lives to come. It's his duty to save the future lives from their short, anguished existence. But then as he's standing right on the edge, he comes to another realization. These future lives are not him, as he's been saying. The interruption in consciousness every night means he's not the same person as this tomorrow person. Hmm. So what right does he have to take another person's life? Then he decides, instead of killing the future's lives, leaving them without a choice, he should try to set them up as well as he can. Oh, I mean, that, that's a far brighter outlook. He's, he's looking out for all these future hymns. Uh, good, good on you, guy. So he moves to the countryside and realizes that there may be no grand meaning in such a short life. But in his reckless quest to overcome that problem, he had robbed the future lives of everything and also gained nothing of value to the present life to him. And taking that a step further, he realized that he values his future selves the same as he values all other future selves. So if he wants to treat his future selves well, logically, he should treat all future selves well. Okay, all right. Let me break that down real quick. (laughs) All right. He's got future selves and he wants to treat them nicely and he should do good things in the now to make his self in the future look and feel even better. He's, he's doing nice things for him, but future him. But not him. He's doing nice things for another person. Okay, so it's, it's, it's more like he's doing a solid. It just so happens to also be him, kind of. Right. Okay, all right, I can roll with that. So he lived a simple existence and gave away what he could because he didn't feel a claim on his money. Because after all, it wasn't him that earned it, but a past self. And then he grows old, eventually sick, and is told that he's going to die. He's a little sad that his memories wouldn't be passed on, but he had already died thousands of deaths. So he didn't fear one more. He considered his last moment of life to be the greatest in a way because it contained the sum of all his previous lives' memories. Hmm. And he died. For the last time. Ooh. Ooh. Like heavy but hopeful all at the same time? I, I, that is that is much more hopeful than the near suicide bit, at least. Uh, not going to lie, it still seems to me like this is just a way for him to reconcile a very lofty philosophical concept. I don't think most people are concerned that they die every time they go to sleep. But leave it up to you, heathen, to find a way to fling us full throttle into existential terror. It's only terrifying if you haven't come to terms with it yet. <laughs> All right, well, you can't blame the man, though. Uh, it looked to me like he just followed the logic down the rabbit hole, and it 
brought him to a natural conclusion. Maybe it feels wonky, but it all seems to follow. And I think that is a perfect segue into the topic for our next episode. No, I, I promise it's not a bad word, but we're going to be looking at epistemology. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, totally. What is that? Epistemology is the philosophy of knowledge itself. So if that's still not much clearer, it's asking the question, how do we know what we know? What is knowledge? And how do we know what's true? That sort of deal. Mm, so last time, or this episode was, what is wholesome? What is he then? And next time is, what is everything? <laughs> what is knowledge? How do we know? That is, a uh, man, we got some exciting topics <laughs> for you folks riveting. We're going we're gonna to blow the, the wheels off of this station wagon. I've lost this metaphor. Um, <laughs> it is time to start rounding up today's episode. Um, I don't know what I, I would, what to, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> uh, join us next week for our epistemology episode. And this has been Wholesome. Heathen out. Wholesome and Heathen do not support the wholesale production and distribution of clones. While Heathen believes that he would get along splendidly with his clones, Wholesome finds the concept just a little creepy. Wholesome and Heathen do, however, both support human augmentation and getting super sick rocket legs. Let us know what cyborg parts you want at wholesomeandheathen.com.